The reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. It's on page 694 of the Church Bibles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will, be, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's, let's pray as we come to this beautiful passage from Isaiah. Father, we thank you that you are with us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes to see more of the beautiful light of Jesus through your word. Please come and help us. Speak to us. For our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, here's the, the carol lyric that most often brings a tear to my eye. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This morning we're listening together to this poem about Christmas by the prophet Isaiah, and the promise of that poem is captured beautifully in that lyric. It's about the darkness of our world, the weariness of our world, and the breaking of a new and glorious morning, a new and beautiful light shining into the darkness, a thrill of certain hope. And specifically, that shining light is God's kingdom. His kingdom, as we heard from Colossians at the start of the service, is a kingdom of light. And the thrill of hope for us this morning is that we know that God's kingdom is going to come and transform this weary world because the king has already come. I wonder how you instinctively kind of feel about that idea of God's kingdom uh, coming to transform this world. I wonder how thrilling that is for you. Maybe some of us just in instantly think, yes, I long for that every day. But I know that for me, as a teenager, definitely, I think probably as a student too, I remember being kind of theoretically positive about it, but not actually very bothered by the idea of God's kingdom by the idea of, of the, the present and future hope that we have in Jesus. I think, to be honest, I was fairly kind of comfortable with my life as it was. 
Uh, and I wasn't really exposed to that much of the kind of unfixable, broken things in this world. And so the only bits of the Bible's message that really kind of felt like properly good news to me were the things that would sort of make it a positive difference to me personally right now. And of course, there are plenty of those things. But I see now that I was missing so much of the reality. And so I'm preaching to myself as much as to anyone else this morning, because actually I would suggest that in order to end up longing for God's kingdom to come, longing for it to transform this world, in order for us to find that hope deeply thrilling, we only really have to do two things. We have to pay attention to what the kingdom is really like, and we have to just honestly pay attention to what this weary world is like. We need to see the depth of the darkness, and we need to see the beauty of the light. Look at verse 2 of this poem. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And that word for deep darkness is a word that Isaiah seems to have made up by combining two words. It literally means death darkness, the darkness of death. He does not flinch from how dark the world is. And indeed, Isaiah was speaking in a time of deep darkness in Israel and Judah. The rest of the book tells us that that society was full of oppression and injustice. There was violence within the society. There was the constant threat of violence and war from outside. And all of this stemmed from the fact that the people en masse were ignoring God. They were turning to other things and trusting in them for security, whether or not they were, in theory, worshippers of Yahweh whether that was political deals and power plays, or whether it was uh, dabbling in magic, trying to consult with the dead, as we see just before this, they were trusting in all sorts of things instead of trusting God and listening to him. And it was deservedly plunging them into deeper and deeper darkness. And of course, if we look at our own world, if we look at our own lives, we can see that this is totally relevant to us. We, too, are living in a really dark world. We, too, live in a society, both kind of locally and globally, that is full of oppression and injustice, which is full of violence and war. And, of course, the other dimensions of darkness are there, too. We live in a world where people en masse are ignoring God, trusting power or politics as a source of security Actually, for surprisingly many people dabbling in magic and all sorts of things like that to try and manipulate the world around us, where people, not just outside of the church, but inside the church as well, trust in all kinds of things for protection and security rather than trusting in God and listening to him. We too are the people who live in deep darkness. So let's just start by paying attention to the darkness in this world. What I want is for every one of us just to silently bring to mind some aspect of what is dark and broken in this world that you find particularly uh, heartbreaking. It, it might be that you were here at the Restoring Light Conference a few weeks ago, and for you it's the, the global pandemic of violence against women and girls. 
It might be that it's a particular war or conflict. It might be a, a particular aspect of poverty or deprivation or injustice or disease. It might be any kind of moral or spiritual, any kind of darkness. I just want to invite you to bring that to mind for a second and just be honest and pay attention to it. And know that God invites us here to look at this world and say, this is so dark. I hate it. I'm weary with it. And then perhaps as well, you might want to bring to mind a particular personal situation of darkness that you're connected to. Maybe it's an area of struggling or suffering in your own life. A deep kind of weariness for you. Or it might be Someone you know, someone you're close to, and it feels like they are in the midst of deep darkness right now. Just, again, bring that to mind and pay attention to it and hear that God invites us to say, this is so dark. I hate it. I'm weary of it. And then listen to God speak in this verse, not in any way flinching from the depth of the darkness, but saying, on those living in the land of deep Darkness, a light has dawned. Now, what does that mean? Before we dive into the details, I just want to think for a minute about the kind of timelines, because it's kind of confusing that Isaiah says, a light has dawned in the past tense. And through the poem, he jumps around between present tense and future tense and past tense, and it can be a bit like, hang on, are these things, have they happened already? Are they happening in the future? And the short answer is that for Isaiah... He is looking ahead. All of this is in the future for him. But he is so certain that God will do it, that he is happy to use the past tense as well, because it is that certain. But then for us, because obviously it's got the bit in verse 6 about a child is born, a son is given. We read it at Christmas. We think, right, it's about Christmas. That happened, didn't it, 2,000 years ago? But then we maybe read something like verse 5 that seems to promise an end to all war. And we think, hang on, wait, that, that hasn't happened yet. There are still far, 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 far too many wars in this world. What's going on is this. Isaiah was granted by God to look ahead into the future. And what he saw was that God's king would come and God's kingdom would come. And he describes them both. But what we discover when Jesus actually does come is that when God's king comes, he does bring God's kingdom but not all at once, not all in one go. Um, so I had a, a very rough attempt at a, uh, at a, a timeline. So, so Jesus comes, and in his life and his death, and most of all in his resurrection from the dead, he brings this glorious new morning. The sun rises, and it's like this great sunrise. It's the beginning of God's new day, God's new world, his kingdom of light, where light triumphs over darkness. That has begun. It is here. But because God is patient and gracious and kind, he wants as many people as possible from all nations and peoples to have the opportunity to turn back to him, to hear about Jesus and trust him, receive his forgiveness, so that we too can be part of this kingdom of light, so that we can be welcomed and included in his kingdom forever. So Jesus did not immediately bring complete justice and we are so grateful for that. Instead, we have this period that we're living in where the, the kingdom has begun. 
And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then he says to us who follow him, you are the light of the world. So he sends out his people, the church, us, to be communities that are little, imperfect, but beautiful pockets of that kingdom of light. Communities that reflect his light in the world. And they invite people to see and follow him. And then one day, we do not know when, Jesus is going to return in glorious light. He will bring the kingdom completely. Every promise in this poem will come true fully and completely and utterly and permanently. As Isaiah puts it later on in his book, there will be no more night there. Jesus will drive all darkness out of this world and everybody who trusts him will be raised with glorious physical bodies like his. We will enjoy living in a healed, renewed world, saturated with light forever. To put it simply, we know the kingdom of light is coming and will come because the king has already come. So it's a little bit like this picture of a sunrise. We're living in this moment where the bright, beautiful sun has dawned. The Son of God has risen. The new day has begun. But it's not illuminating the whole world yet. Much of it is still in darkness. And in this poem, Isaiah is inviting us to be people who stand and look to the sunrise. Who honestly look at the darkness around us, but then look up at the sun that has risen. Because if we look towards that sunrise, we will feel the light of it, the warmth of it on our face, and it will give us the courage and the strength to keep going through the darkness. And as we look to the light, we will reflect the light. We will live that out so people can see the light in us. And we will also invite people to turn around with us and look at the light they can already see reflected on our faces. And we can say, look, that's where this light is coming from. Look at it with us. Can you feel the warmth? So let's look at this rising sun together this morning. We know the kingdom is coming because the king has already come. And what Isaiah shows us really clearly in this poem is that the kingdom of light is beautiful because the king is beautiful. First, he describes what the kingdom is like. Look at verse 3. It is a kingdom of joy. Imagine living in a context where if the harvest is not good, you are in big, big trouble. Imagine the months of hard work, but also of fear, never knowing what might happen the next day to ruin that crop. And then think of the moment when after all those weeks and months, the harvest comes. And it's a good harvest. It's a great harvest. It's more than you need. Think of the relief and the joy as the whole community come together and sing and dance and celebrate. Isaiah says when God's kingdom comes, it is going to be like that. God will give his people that kind of relief and joy. Then verse 4, we see that it's a kingdom of freedom and rest. Isaiah says that when God's kingdom comes, it will be like when Midian was defeated. And that is a reference back to the time uh, described in the book of Judges when northern Israel was under the cruel brutal oppression of Midian for years. And then God raised up a nobody called Gideon 
And actually, when you look at the story in Judges 7, it's, it, it's really relevant to this because God liberates his people through a sudden burst of bright light. But the point is, Isaiah says, when God's kingdom of light comes, he will shatter the yoke that burdens his people. A yoke is the thing that you tie cattle to uh, for them to pull a plow. It's a very vivid picture of the crushing weight of oppression. And that might be a picture of all sorts of different things that crush us and weigh us down. But Isaiah says when the kingdom of light comes, that crushing weight will be lifted. And that yoke will be shattered forever, never to be put back on. God's kingdom is one in which everyone is free from oppression forever. In which God gives weary people, broken people, burdened people, rest. And then verse 5, it's a kingdom of permanent peace. When the kingdom of light comes fully, there will be no more wars, no more violence, there will be no more death. He says every weapon of war, every boot that has marched into a battle, every garment stained with the, the stains of bloodshed will be burned up and gone, never to be seen again. So, Remember the timeline, the, the kingdom has come in part already through Jesus. If we are trusting him and receiving his forgiveness, this is for us now. He can give us joy right now, the joy of knowing that we are safe with him. He has got us. He will not let us go. He will be with us and will care for us, whatever happens. If we come to him, he says he will set us free from our slavery to our own sin and stupidity and selfishness, all of the, the self-destructive ways that we have, he will liberate us from the power of that. We are not trapped by it with him. And from the crushing burden of trying to deal with our own shame or guilt by ourselves, to try and earn the approval of others, to try and earn God's approval, Jesus says, no, 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 come to me. I will lift that burden off your shoulders and I will shatter it so that you never have to put it back on again. I will just love you unconditionally. And of course, he can give us peace right now. He has died to make peace between us and God that cannot be broken. And to give us what we need to make peace amongst ourselves as well. But while we can experience some of those three things now, at the moment, it is not complete. It is only partial. But the complete fulfillment of these promises is coming. Could I just invite you to think back to whatever the aspects of the darkness of this world you were bringing to mind a minute ago. Jesus is going to return. And he is going to bring this kingdom of light to the whole world. And every person who trusts him and receives his offer of forgiveness will be included in the reality of what is promised in these verses. This burst of relief and joy. This lifting of the crushing burden and then the shattering of that yoke forever. The full and final destruction of everything that causes fear and pain and death. Don't you just long for that day? It is coming. We know that it is coming because the king has come. 
And the kingdom of light is this good, this beautiful, because the king himself is this good, this beautiful. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. We so desperately need good leaders, don't we? I discovered the other day that in 2024, over 70 elections are due to take place around the world um, for countries with more than half of the world's population. It's the biggest year of elections in history. But probably for most of us, that, that doesn't fill us with a sense of hope and optimism. It might even fill us with, in some cases, real fear and dread, because we know that leadership matters. We know that human leaders, it's hard but possible for them to make things better. It is terrifyingly easy for them to make things worse. We fear that many, far too many of those leaders will not be good leaders. We desperately need good leaders, but the good news is that the kingdom of light is coming because its king has come, And he has lifted the whole weight of this weary world onto his shoulders. And he is the leader that we long for. Look at the second half of the verse. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor essentially means uh, supernaturally wise in making uh, plans. Jesus is the ultimately wise leader that we need. And then mighty God is pretty emphatic, isn't it? This is going to be a human king because he's going to be born as a child, but he's also going to be the mighty God, the warrior God who can be defeated by nothing and nobody. Then everlasting father is another description of this king that makes it clear he's no ordinary human king, but particularly the emphasis is on this king's care and concern, and loyalty. This is going to be a king who cares for his people like the perfect father cares for their children. And finally, Prince of Peace. In the Old Testament, the the idea of peace is so rich and rounded. It's about being whole. It's about well-being. It's thriving. This is a ruler who makes his people whole, who makes them come alive. I was thinking, how can we get these abstract descriptions to really kind of come alive to us? And then it suddenly just dawned on me, they have come alive. Jesus has come and lived, and he has given us a a vision of what this looks like. So let's just take one example. We could take so many, but think of the woman who we meet in the Gospels who has been bleeding for 12 years. She is in constant pain. She's constantly feeling the shame and the isolation of it. Can you imagine how weary she would have felt? And she hears about Jesus and she takes a risk and she pushes through the crowd and she reaches out just to touch the edge of his garment. And Jesus is the mighty God. He's so powerful that just touching his cloak heals her instantly after 12 years of frustration. But then he's the wonderful counselor. He knows exactly what she needs. He is not going to let her just slip off into the crowd and back into a life of shame and isolation. He wants to see her. He wants to speak to her. He wants to restore her. 
And, and eventually she falls down on her knees in front of him and she just tells him everything. And I imagine that he crouched down with her and he looked her in the eyes. We don't know about that. We do know for sure that the words he said are the words of a tender, everlasting father. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, that's how gentle and tender he is with her. That is how much he honors her. He is her everlasting father. And he says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the Prince of Peace. This is what Jesus is like. He gently lifts the burden of 12 years of pain and shame off her shoulders and he shatters the yoke and says, go in peace and freedom. Can you imagine the joy in her heart, the tears in her eyes as she walked away that day? This is the king of God's kingdom. God's kingdom of light is so good because the king is so good. And even better, the kingdom of light will be everlasting because the king is everlasting. Jesus rose from the dead to a new life. He will never die again. And his kingdom, the kingdom that dawned on that day, is unstoppable. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When Jesus' kingdom of light comes finally, it will never leave. It will never fail. He will be who he is, completely just and righteous. And he will rule over that kingdom with complete justice and righteousness forever. That means there will come a day for everyone who trusts in Jesus. There will come a day when we know that no injustice will ever hurt us again. No lack of righteousness, of love and goodness will ever wound us again. And no injustice or lack of love or goodness will ever come out of us and wound anyone else ever again. Think of that darkness in the world that you've been holding in your mind. Think of that situation or that person. And just take it in that for anyone who trusts in Jesus, there will come a day when they see him face to face and he wipes the tears away from their eyes and they know for sure that the things that have hurt them, the things that they have been scared of their whole life, the things that have burdened them and weighed them down are never, ever going to happen again. Hallelujah. What a kingdom. What a king. So we know that the kingdom is coming and it's so good because we know that the king has come and he is so, so good. But then in this last sentence, Isaiah tells us why all of this will happen and how all of this will happen. He says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. How is the whole world going to be made right? How is all of the darkness in this vast and complicated world going to be fixed and defeated by the light? No one can do that except the one who spoke light into the darkness in the first place. 
No one can do that except the creator God, the mighty God. And why will he do that? Because he cares. Because of his zeal. Zeal means passionate intensity about someone or something. The same word can be used to talk about about someone being jealous for their spouse. But it's not like human jealousy. There's no selfishness in it. God, we don't have anything that God needs. He doesn't need anything. He's just zealous for us, for our good. He cares. He cares about this world and he cares about us. And if we want to know that these are not just empty words, all we need to do is see how the king of the kingdom took his throne. Because the poem here, it skips straight from the king's birth to his ruling on the throne. But Isaiah tells us elsewhere it would take something really dark for that to happen. We human beings, every one of us, we've been so full of darkness. We've ignored God. We've plunged ourselves into that darkness. But God cares for us. He wants us in the kingdom of light. And so in Jesus, he came, didn't he? And he took all the darkness that we deserve onto himself. The sky went black in the middle of the day as he hung in agony on the cross. He was stepping into the darkness we deserve, lifting onto his own shoulders the burden of that, letting it crush him, absorbing it into himself. We sang, didn't we? See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? The king was enthroned in the dark and crowned with thorns because God cares. He is not cold. He is not distant towards you. He cares. And if he's done that already because of his zeal for us, how can we be in any doubt that he will complete what he has started because of his zeal for us? So then, so what? Here we are living in the land of deep darkness. What difference does this all make to us? Well, think of this image that we started with again. The light has dawned. We still live in and amongst the darkness, but we are invited to be people who look to the sunrise. Isaiah, just before this in chapter 8, has, has committed to be someone who waits in hope for the Lord. He says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Traditionally, the season of of Advent is about remembering that the king has come, but also waiting, waiting in confident hope and deep longing for the king to come again and bring the kingdom fully. So you might just want to consciously try to do that this Advent. You know, what could you do at some point each day, perhaps with your Advent calendar if you have one, to consciously remind yourself that Jesus is going to come back and this kingdom of light is going to come fully and forever. So we look to the light, but secondly, it also means we live in the light. We walk in the light right now. We want to reflect the kingdom that we see here in our own lives and in our own community as a church. So maybe this is an invitation to take some time to ask God, is there a way you want me to walk in this light more fully? To live out the justice and the joy and the liberation and the peace 
of your kingdom more fully in my day to day? Perhaps you could pray that for us as a church community. Are there ways that we could be embodying this better? If there are things that God puts on our hearts, let's talk about them with one another. Let's encourage each other. And thirdly, can I just say that looking at the light, seeing how beautiful the kingdom is, seeing how good our king is, that is what makes us want to invite other people to turn around and look at it with us. There are loads of voices in our culture. There are probably a lot of voices in our own heads that try and tell us that the kingdom of God is not really very good news. That all this religious stuff is not very important, not very relevant to real everyday life. Or that it's just kind of restricting for there to be any kind of king in charge of the world. Please don't let anyone ever convince you that this is not good news. It is so good. And I realize that some of us will have been thinking this morning about family or friends who don't trust Jesus yet. And so thinking about this hope is actually really hard. If that's you, let me just say, it is good and right to be heartbroken by that. God is with us in that. He shares our longing and our pain. Do not give up. Keep looking to the light. Keep walking and living in the light and keep praying for opportunities to lovingly invite them to see something of that light for themselves. And let me just say as well, if you're here this morning and you think actually you've never come to Jesus and trusted him and received his forgiveness, please know that this God really cares about you. Jesus longs for you to come into his kingdom of light now and forever. And if you want to know more of what that would mean, we would love to talk to you about it. Please just talk to any Christian you know. Talk to me. I'll be on the door as you leave. You're always welcome here in church, wherever you're at with this stuff. We're coming to the end now, but in a minute, what we're going to do to finish uh, is, is stand and just read this poem together, this passage out loud as a declaration of our faith and our certain hope. Don't worry if you don't want to join in with that because you're not sure about it. Just listen, that's fine. But all of us who rejoice in this truth, we're going to stand and declare it together. And then we're going to sing our final song. And it's called Take Heart. We've sung it a few times in the evening, perhaps not in the morning before, but it's, it's a beautiful song. And it was actually written uh, by a, a, the best friend of a friend of mine, um, a woman called Liv Chapman, and she wrote it for her brother Sam. Uh, and Sam was young as well, um, like her, uh, and he was chronically ill. And he had been in a wheelchair and in constant pain for 12 years. And uh, Liv said that at some point he said to her that he, he was struggling to to join in with the songs in church. And she said, oh, is it, are they all pitched a bit high? And, and he said, no, it's that I just feel like I can't sing all these songs about joy and victory when my whole life just is, is just pain and suffering. And Liv said that it just struck her. And she thought, we have a God that we can sing to in the deep, deep darkness. We have a God where we can worship him in, right in the shadow of death. And so she wrote this song for Sam. And I think it is so 
helpful for us. So let's stand. And we're going to declare these words together. Together we say, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish.